0: G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music, and more. Sam Buckingham, our feature guest for an extended chat. They'll fill the full show. Let's dive right in.
1: As a trash collector at the prestigious Blues Fest, Sam Buckingham looked to the stage there for the revelation of what their future would be about, that of music and performance. Many releases later, including their latest, Real Life, they have travelled, learnt and through it all remained open to the expression of the heart, recently extended their connection of mind through yoga, to now be a teacher of the form. Buckingham has shared stages with the likes of James Rain, Casey Chambers and Diesel, recently completing their own national tour of Australia for their tune Hammer and Love from their acclaimed album, The Water. Fresh from a long walk, they joined Radio Notes for a chat.
2: We live in Latin America for an undefined period of time, which ended up being about 18 months. And when we were deciding where we wanted to go, we basically had two rules. There had to be surfing for him and there had to be yoga for me. That was kind of the only criteria. And so He'd already been to Costa Rica previously. And so he said to me, I want to go somewhere in Costa Rica. So I Googled yoga, surf, Costa Rica. And the yoga farm was the first result that came up. And I clicked on it. And he was actually at work at the time. And uh, I, I read it for about three and a half seconds. And I emailed him the link. And I said, This is where we have to go. And that exactly at that moment, I wrote an application they have working roles so you can go and sort of pay a very small amount of what you'd normally pay to stay there and you work, you know, the rest of the time, farming and things like that. And so I wrote this super nerdy application for the both of us. I put in every single thing that either of us had ever done on anything related to permaculture or farming or environmental health, which is my partner's background. And I talked about volunteer work that I'd done in Borneo for injured orangutans. And I just I just talked about anything I possibly could, basically screaming at them, please let us come and work for you. Please let us come and work for you. And they emailed us back really quickly and said, you sound overqualified for this job. We would love to have you. And we ended up actually living and working there for about three months. And by the end of the three months, we were helping them with a lot of stuff on the farm and really felt part of the family. And uh, we still, we planned to go back. Actually, we considered moving there for the rest of our lives forever and ever, but Australia called us back home, but we'll definitely be back.
0: I want to take you back to the Byron Bay Blues Festival.
2: Oh, okay. Yep. Mm -hmm.
0: My understanding was that you were a cleaner, someone who was participating in the cleaning duties and that in fact, was the start of a musical career.
2: I volunteered to work at the festival. You know what? I actually, I I don't really know exactly why I felt so called to come to Byron Bay because this is where I live now, to come to Byron Bay and to go to that festival. But I just knew that I had to and I didn't have any money. I was like 16 at the time. And so I applied to volunteer and got a job picking up trash at the festival and I just found myself... You know, I was having a great time, and I was watching all of this music, and I was, you know, meeting lots of great people, and I just found myself in the tent one night, watching this incredible performer, and I just thought to myself, "I'm on the wrong side of the stage. I need to be up there. I need to be performing like this person is performing." And that was kind of the start of me really, really pursuing songwriting and really pursuing performing in front of people. And what by pursuing I mean. At that point, I I was really only singing to family and friends, and I was so nervous when I was singing that I made them turn around, or I would turn around so that they couldn't see me, and this was, this was for a really long time. I was like, okay, I really have to sing something to you, but I don't really want to be seen, you know. I went back home, and and I started facing those fears, and soon-ish, I was up performing in actual venues in front of people who I couldn't make turnaround because they were sitting and eating their dinner or having it
0: or whatever. Uh, thinking Sam, reverse <laughs> chairs and singing your favourite songs is kind of part of a national television show. <laughs>
2: I don't even get me started on the journey I'm not wanting to be a part of.
0: Why should you do covers?
2: Well, no, interestingly, I love singing cover songs. I actually really enjoy it. I'm thinking of recording a covers EP later in the year. I really love singing other people's songs. The thing about those kinds of shows, that doesn't work for me, and I understand why it works for other artists. So I'm absolutely not going to sit here and say no one should do it. Everyone is on their own path and doing their own thing, and that's absolutely fine, but for me personally, What doesn't work for me about those shows is that it doesn't seem like you have, and I have friends who have been on the show and so I have sort of a first-hand account of it, it doesn't seem like you have that much creative control. For me, creative control is everything. And the little known secret slash fact that not many people know is that I did actually audition for The Voice quite a number of years ago. They sent me an email asking me if I wanted to audition. So I went, oh, you know what the hey, I may as well go and do it. And I got through to the rounds where you go on the on the show and they presented me with the contract and I read through the contract and then I proceeded to get very drunk with a couple of good friends because I was finding it very difficult to make a decision and the night ended with me jumping on top of the couch saying, Fuck that, I will not be part of something that takes away my creative control and that was my decision made.
0: The first time that I met Sam Buckingham was on the 11th of May 2011.
2: Good memory, wow.
0: Well, it's a good memory because it was a good gig and we're watching Lizy together and we're waiting for Washington to take the stage at my local. That is a, quite a while ago and I knew from that point that you were on a journey with your music career.
2: That gig, that was an amazing gig actually. I remember that so vividly and actually I got that gig because I emailed Megan's management and I said, hey, you're doing this tour and you don't have supports for Adelaide and Perth. Can I be the opening act? You don't have to pay me. I'll get myself there. I just want to come and sing. And uh, and that's how I got the gig. They just decided to give me a shot. That was a really good lesson in asking for what you want. But where I was musically, those shows actually happened just before I got on a plane to go to Europe for six weeks, which is where I met my partner, actually. We met over there. He's Australian, but we met over there. I was writing my album, I'm a Bird, at the time. And actually, after that night at the Gov, I felt so inspired that I went back to the hostel that I was staying at. I was just staying in a dorm in the local hostel and I wrote a song, which is Hit Me With Your Heart, which ended up on my album I'm a Bird. And I loved the song so much that I played it the next night at the next gig, got an incredible response for it. And that was really important moment for me in understanding the power of surrounding myself with art and music and people that inspire me and the magic that happens when you are willing to put yourself into that place and be in in that space. And I'm like everybody else. I have imposter syndrome and I think that I don't deserve a seat at the table or a place on the stage. You know, I have those moments and every time I push through that fear and that feeling and I step into a space that I'm afraid of magic happens and that really happened for me so after I finished those shows I went to Europe for six weeks and I was writing I had my little mini Maiden with me and I was writing and demoing for my next album I'm a bird while I was traveling through Barcelona and we drove from Paris down through the south of France and ate a lot of cheese and I went and saw a whole lot of awesome music. I saw Paolo Nutini in Berlin and just all sorts of things that just opened my eyes to the world and then I came home and got into recording the album.
0: But that all started as you mentioned in Adelaide, South Australia as things do sometimes.
2: yeah you know it's the place to be
0: (laughs) that was 2011 you had it very much an open heart you were seeking to make connections at that point and you did it sounds like romantically and continue to we're now eight years later and the passion is still there for the music what different direction are you now taking musically
2: um, that is a cool question and it's something that I'm, I feel like I'm asking myself every day. I feel like my songwriting, I mean, as, as a songwriter, everything's shifting all the time. As a human, everything is shifting all the time, you know. So I don't feel like I've ever stayed for too long in one sort of creative cycle, if that makes sense. So I kind of view everything as, as a cycle. So you, you sort of have the peak of it and everything's happening and going wild and you're creating this awesome output and then it all sort of dips down and you get ready to share it with the world you share it with the world and everything sort of peaks up again and then you need to soften back into yourself and fill your fill your cup so you can reach the next peak of the cycle so i feel like at the moment i'm i'm more focused than ever on the lyrical content of my songs i've always been all for the lyrics But in the past when I've been writing, it's kind of whatever lyrics have stumbled out of me, that's the song that's been written and I either accept or reject it. So a song will come out and be like, "Mm, no, that doesn't really feel right. I'm not going to use that song. Or a song will come out and I'll be like, yeah, that's kind of what I want to say. Oh, that's not exactly what I thought I was going to say, but I think it sounds good, so I'm going to play that song. And if it feels good, I go for it. Whereas now I find myself really sitting down and asking in the moment when I'm writing the song what am I trying to say here what is the point that I want to get across what is it that I need to really express and basically I'm kind of asking what do I need to tell myself right now what do I need to remind myself right now how am I really feeling what do I really need to tap into myself right now and actually this morning is a really good example I was writing this morning I ended up writing for about three hours and completed a song which I'm so proud of and so in love with and as a songwriter the last song you always wrote is the best song you always wrote so at the moment I'm on this high and I'm like I just wrote the best song ever (laughs) but in the past that was the three-hour intensive sit up pay attention write the song really work it until I was really 100% happy with it in the past if I wasn't feeling that fire within 10 or 15 minutes the song would get scrapped Whereas now it's kind of almost like I'm tuning in on this deeper level of, okay, I feel like there's something there. I haven't quite touched it yet. How can I touch it? How can I reach it? And then I'm doing that work to get there. And also, apart from lyric writing and really paying closer attention to that I'm also experimenting with some new instruments so I've got an electric guitar which is the new love of my life and a loop pedal which is the actual funnest thing that I've ever created with (laughs) so some of songs that I've already written I'm changing them into songs that are performed with a loop pedal and then some songs that I'm writing right now in the moment I'm writing with that instrument in mind how am I going to use this in this song. I'm kind of writing with that in mind and that energy in mind that, that can be created as a solo artist with the loop. So that is super-duper exciting to me and I'm loving playing around with that.
0: Is there a level of acceptance you are mentioning there to allow, you know, three hours, to, to allow a song to actually have a little bit more life in your day than previously?
2: Yeah, totally. I think that the biggest practice of my life has always been patience So much so I actually have it tattooed on my wrist. (laughs) It's like the word that I always have to remember and I constantly forget. And that's really what it's about for me. It's having the patience with myself, having the patience with my practice, being willing to suck for a little while until I reach where it is I want to reach. And so a lot of it is about sort of removing the ego from the process and Going a little bit of a deeper layer under that and saying, all right, what's in here and how am I going to draw it out instead of, oh, it didn't just come out straight away. I must suck. I'll have to go and do something else.
0: That's very (laughs) counter to how our culture is these days of the social media world of likes and shares and everything else. Mm -hmm. How are you focusing yourself, Sam, to actually live in this world that is patient
2: god I don't know (laughs) it's like a constant daily how am I focusing myself I have a lot of practices and I have a lot of I guess not kind of not rules but for lack of a better word in place that I've sort of worked out over time work for me so I have some practices like my yoga practice which is a daily practice which helps me to ground and stay present and not get so easily distracted and not drop so easily into that sort of egoic chasing mindset but I also have a lot of rules as well like around putting my phone on airplane mode that's a massive one so when I'm creating when I'm writing I just flick it up and and put on that little airplane sign so that and then I actually move my phone out of my sight so that I can't be distracted by whatever is asking for my attention at that time so that really helps and I, you know, it, I just kind of have to fight myself a little bit, to be honest. To be really honest about it, I kind of have to look at what I'm doing that's kind of sabotaging my efforts to be a great songwriter or to have the life that I want and then do the opposite thing.
0: You've stated that you're actively pursuing Betterness. Firstly, betterness, I don't know is a word, but let's go with it. Actively pursuing I'm betterness. i
2: I can make up words if I want.
0: <laughs> Actively pursuing betterness.
2: I think that I've spent a lot of time in my career trying to get heard because that's, you know, when you write songs and you want people to hear them, then you try to get heard. And that is fair enough and that makes a lot of sense. I know why I did that and that's okay. But I'm not so interested. Okay, this is strange because I think I have – I love what I'm doing more than I ever have and I care more about what I'm doing than I ever have. And it matters to me to make an impact and do great things more than it ever has. But I've stopped – trying to get my music heard and instead i'm just trying to be better at what i do and then send it out into the world and for me that's just a little bit of a mental shift away from that external validation which i you know have needed for a long time and into that internal validation where i am proud of what i'm creating on a on a deeper level And where I'm actively trying to one-up myself every time I'm creating something, as opposed to actively trying to get someone else to tell me that I've one-upped myself. There's a concept in evolutionary psychology of the external audience and the internal audience. And the external audience matters because you need to know that you are appreciated in the world and you need to know that you have value and you need to know that you have a place. And we are social beings and Our whole society is built on this structure of providing value to each other. So the external validation actually is important. It actually does matter. But it doesn't mean anything if your internal audience is saying, you didn't really try that hard on that thing. Uh, You kind of put in 50% of the effort that you could have. And so I'm focusing on betterness. I want my internal audience to be proud of me no matter what the external audience says.
0: Let's briefly look at the external audience because what you are now doing is you're actually engaging them through the Patreon system and actually sharing when you're ready demos and the like to get that feedback, I would think. Talk to me about that balance of when you're ready to give that for that external feedback.
2: Yeah, that's a really tricky one because in order to share a song, you have to be willing to have people say, Not that into it. (laughs) And for me, I go to Patreon and share these new song demos when I feel like it's there's something in it. And I'm asking my fans what they think and I'm asking my fans, hey, should it be on the next album? Hey, does this resonate with you? Not because I want them to say, yeah, you're awesome or no, you're not awesome, but because my music is here to serve the people that want to hear it so as I'm working towards creating a new album I'm going to put on it the songs that matter deeply to me and there's a whole process that happens in writing an album and ending up putting it together where you know I don't know how it works for other people but for me like I've just got an ongoing list and I'm crossing something off the list and adding something to replace it or I'm moving something from the maybe list into the definitely list or from the definitely list into the hell no list. And it's like constantly shuffling around as my writing keeps changing and as my writing keeps evolving. And as I keep figuring out what am I trying to say, what do I want to be giving here? And to share on Patreon is kind of me saying, Hey, my internal audience is really stoked with this for X, Y, Z reason. And I usually really, go into that and I share that I say hey I love this song because I was playing around with a new finger picking pattern that I'd never tried before and this thing came out and so I've never actually written in this style before so I'm really stoked that this happened what do you think and I always want to know what they think I always want to know whether it's really gelling for them but part of sharing it with other people is about knowing how I feel when I share it with other people.
0: That's what you were saying before, yeah. is having that internal confidence first before getting the external input, not necessarily view, but input of.
2: Yeah, totally. And I actually what I do now also is when I write a new song that I'm really stuck with, I play it to my partner because he will tell me the truth every single time so i want to hear his real true feedback but what also happens in that moment is when i'm playing it to him i'll either feel pumped and stoked and whatever the hell he says to me after that won't make a difference because i'll be like that felt amazing and this song rocks or i'll be playing it to him and there'll be some point in the song i'll be like oh i feel embarrassed oh i feel not quite right and that will show me that ah when i'm sharing this with someone I'm not actually saying what I wanted to say because my internal audience didn't feel totally jazzed by that. So it's in the sharing I'm able to then check in with myself. But that aside, I mean, I also really want to know what my fans think and I uploaded a demo a couple months ago called Real Life and they just loved it. Everyone was just like, this is amazing. I just cried. This just felt so good. This song is beautiful. I shared like this tiny little snippet because I don't share the full songs with anyone other than my patrons. I shared a tiny little snippet on Instagram and Facebook and the same thing happened. I got messages and comments and all this stuff. People were saying, yes, yes, this song, I feel it. And so that was just this strong, clear message that the people who I'm making music for felt something real when I played in that song. I went, oh, fuck it, I'm going on tour with this song. I'm going to record it and release it as a single and people love this song and want to hear it. So... I want to play
0: it too. October 2019, you will be doing a tour named Real Life on the back of that very single. Within the lyric, it talks about the weight of a promise. How do you weigh things up in your life? Because you've got another song called Weight that talks about that walls of a partnership.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well... um two very important songs to me. Wait was my song Wait, which is really new, which I had, which is only released on Patreon. That was inspired by someone very close to me going through some things in their relationship. Them going through that experience brought up a whole lot in my own head and heart about similar experiences that I've been through and things in childhood and things like that. So the line in real life, The Weight of a Promise, interestingly is tied into that other song somehow, What that line means is when I was 21 or so, no, when I was actually exactly 21, when I turned 21, my dad at my 21st birthday party, which I didn't want to have because I actually hate having birthday parties. I hate being the center of attention unless I'm on stage or doing an interview. (laughs) The rest of the time, I just want to be in the background. (laughs) So I didn't want to have a 21st birthday party, but everyone convinced me to do it. So I did. And my dad, who is the most beautiful man in the whole world, he did a little speech and he said, I'm so proud of Sam. She's so wonderful. And her songs are beautiful. And I think she's brilliant. And I think one day she's going to be really big. And in that moment, I was so embarrassed. And I made some quip about, oh, do you mean big, like size wise? Because I don't want to be big. (laughs) He was like, no, I mean, you could be really big. And that. Honestly, from twenty one years old, that expectation stuck with me until very recently. That expectation of you have to reach this pinnacle of external success. And what's really cute about this whole thing, and that's just really stuck with me to be honest, for a really long time, and really gotten into my head and really stopped me from living in the way that I want to in a lot of ways, even though I've had it one life, but There's always things lurking in the shadows. And uh, interestingly, I actually said to my dad recently, I said, hey, remember how when I was 21 you said this thing and I relate it to him and he went, no, I don't remember saying that. I said, oh, well, I've been carrying it around for a really long time and I've been really feeling like this weight of expectation and that I really have to live up to that. It's really stressful.
0: Wrote down oh. his phone number and went, oh, and yeah. here's my address. You know, anytime you actually want to talk about it, maybe.
2: Yeah, yeah. He said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. and to upset you. And I just, I just went, oh, my God, I just carry these things around. <laughs> he doesn't even remember saying. It's so your question of how do I weigh these things up? And I don't know. I feel like, I don't know how, what everyone else's experience is like, but I feel like I'm constantly trying to weigh up what is most important and what is not and what I need to hold on to and what I can let go of. And I think that it's like a daily practice for me of letting go and of finding what I want to pay attention to. I don't know if I have an answer of what to do to to really weigh things up in life. I think you just have to pay attention every minute and tune in. And I guess for me – a lot of that is where my yoga practice comes in of, of mindfulness and when I teach yoga I talk a lot about being the observer and and just paying attention and observing what's happening without judgment without labeling right or wrong good or bad and just saying hmm, this thing is coming up Hmm, this feeling is happening Hmm, what's this about and being really curious about the experience and going from that place as opposed to going from a place of trying to fix something or trying to figure everything out or labelling something as it should be this or it should be that. I guess these days I'm, I'm really trying to just observe and weigh up from
1: there. Hi, I'm Lucy Thorne and you're listening to Radio Notes. Released first as podcast can also be heard on radio worldwide.
0: Currently in conversation with Sam Buckingham, her real-life tour is happening throughout October. Supports including Camille Trial, Hannah Ackfield, as well as Jane Caldwell will be on the tour at various stops along the way. Those yes. people will be joining you. Camille Trial, by the way, has a debut single on July the 22nd. It dropped called Humming Chain. Sam Buckingham is a very special guest on Radio Notes. We're going to get back to yoga right now. As we mentioned, there was an 18 months worth of travel and part of that was going to a yoga farm. And nowadays, you find yourself three days a week, I believe, as part of the Wave Yoga Living Yoga Centre experience. (laughs) When did yoga start? I I
2: practised a little bit in, in high school for school sport it was an option in school sport and I'm not super sporty I love moving my body but I'm not into you know team sports and all that kind of stuff so I chose yoga because I thought it would be the easy option (laughs) and to be honest in high school I hated it I just thought it was so boring I was like what what is that smell there's incense you know why is everyone talking so quietly (laughs) and you know the concept of just moving slowly you know tuning into my breath just as a 14 or 15 year old or however old I was you know it just didn't make any sense wasn't really into it for a really long time and then I sort of you know once or twice went to a class with a friend who was into it and you know had a good time and there was an exceptionally wonderful yoga moment in New York City and I was actually staying with Kyle my partner's best friend without Kyle he was back home in Australia but I was in New York doing some songwriting and stuff and so I stayed with Anthony and his wife Kate who are beautiful people it was the first time I'd ever met them and it was like the second night that I was there and Anthony said, I'm going to yoga tonight. Do you want to come along? So I went along. I think it was the night before Valentine's Day. And so it was me and Anthony, my partner's best friend and, you know, a bunch of other people in the room. And the teacher said, well, seeing as tomorrow's Valentine's Day. We're going to do partner yoga. So everyone partner up. And, Anthony was the most embarrassed person in the whole world, Until he had met two days ago. I was his best friend's new girlfriend <laughs> and all of us like holding each other in all sorts of awkward situations. But the pra- practicing regularly started for me about seven years ago. And, and as soon as there was actually a yoga studio just around the corner from where we were living in um, Fremantle, we were in Western Australia at the time. And as soon as I went to the first class, something just clicked and even though I'd sort of been on and off and not really thought much of it for a long time I just knew that this was something that I needed and something that I wanted. I actually started because I had quite a lot of lower back pain. The lower back pain actually cleared up pretty freaking quickly once I was practicing regularly but I stuck around because I wanted to learn how to do a headstand (laughs) so that's why I showed up every day because I wanted to learn how to stand on my head which ended up taking me quite a few years. By the time I actually reached that goal. I realised that the point of yoga was not to stand on your head at all, and I was hooked by the meditation. I was hooked by the movement. And I was hooked by the teachings and the philosophy. Yeah, it's, it's been my my love for now.
0: And you found the patience to actually. You found the patience to actually stand on your head.
2: I found the patience to stand on my head. Yeah, I got there. Now, when I'm up there, I feel like I feel like an upside down queen.
0: One of your targets, one of your visions of things to do is to get vocal lessons from New York's very own Vanetta Fields. When yeah, were you first int- introduced to Vanetta's music? For me, it was Johnny Farnham, Amazing Grace. What was it for you?
2: Well, do you want to know something? I actually have not ever heard any of her music. So a couple of friends of mine have done Vocal lessons with her. Her name has just come up in conversation a couple of times. A friend of mine, Timothy James Bowen, who I toured with a couple of years ago, and he's a wonderful, wonderful singer and songwriter. Yeah, her name came up with him and we talked about it. And then my friend Hannah Ackfield, who's playing on a couple of the shows and tour, she has taken a couple of classes with her. And she, you know what she said to me? It was about a year ago. And she said, you have to have voice lessons with Vanetta Field. Like you just have to, because I sing quite a lot of gospel soul kind of stuff. I'm actually an honorary member of a gospel choir up here. I can't go to practice anymore because they meet on a Tuesday night, which is when I teach yoga, but I still hang out with them and do gigs with them sometimes. I just get, you know, be a part of it without being able to go every week. But she just said to me, you have to go and have voice lessons with her. She's the actual best. And, and I just, I just trust my friends. And so until you ask me, when did I first come across Vanetta Fields Music? It literally never occurred to me to look up her music.
0: Maybe just walk into that room and go, all right, I know you've worked with Johnny Farnham. You've come with good recommendations. You sing gospel. Let's do it. And it might work fine.
2: That's yeah, so indicative of my personality too. I've just gone, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to make that a, a huge goal of mine. I based on a feeling, I'm planning on making that happen later in the year. So that's very exciting.
0: The upright bass was also on this list. What is it about the upright bass and what's the target like for that?
2: You know what? I just it's just always been this thing where I've just kind of like whispers to me in my mind. Sometimes. Now
0: have you ever heard the upright bass or have you just seen upright
2: one? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's the burn of the day. I love it. That's great. (laughs) I have seen it and heard it. (laughs) I think I've even touched one once. (laughs) I'm very familiar with how the upright bass sounds. It just sounds so sexy and the the feel that you can get from it. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with some incredible upright bass players, namely Zoe Hauptman and Dan Stanley Freeman. Zoe played on... I'm a bird and Dan played on the water and also toured with me when I did my band tour or the water earlier this year. Anywhere that I see an upright, someone playing an upright bass, I will stop and I will sit down and I will listen for hours on end. I just love the sound of it. I love the feel of it. It's just so rich and deep and mellow. And I have not put a time frame on that one. That's something that I that is going to happen when it happens. To be honest, actually, also on that list is, Take guitar lessons. I am actually a guitarist, so I'm a singer and a songwriter. I write my songs on guitar and I perform with guitar, but I'm completely self taught. And back to the whole patience conversation, I have never actually been patient enough to take guitar lessons and actually sit down and practice what my teacher says. So I've tried it a bunch of times. I was given my first guitar by my Uncle John, who is an incredible guitarist classically trained and he's a teacher. he's a guitar teacher and he tried to give me lessons and I quit those and within a few lessons and then when I was living in Sydney I went and saw a teacher there and quit those when I was living in Perth I saw a teacher there quit those and I moved here <laughs> and when I say quit those I mean after one or two or three lessons I went, oh, it's too hard so I just remained self-taught for a really long time and I've, I've actually now I'm very proud to say that I've been regularly going to guitar lessons for the past two months and I've been coming home and practicing what my teacher gets me to practice. That's actually how a lot of my newer songs have come out from sitting down to practice guitar and then finding a new chord or some new sort of way of playing that inspires me and then and that's kind of what I said to him I was really honest when I turned up to guitar lessons with this guy Matt Matt Armitage and I said look I really suck at guitar lessons I am very impatient with them. And I've discovered perhaps that the only way to make me stick with lessons is to give me another reason to come to practice. So somehow it's not good enough for me to just say, I'm going to practice my instrument. That doesn't inspire me. But maybe if we try putting everything in the context of songwriting, in the context of learning a song that I really, really want to play in a specific way. Not not good enough to just say I want to learn a song because I can just pull up Google and do a simple version, you know. For example, I really want to play Don't Think Twice. It's all right, Bob Dylan. I really want to play that in this really particular finger-picking style. I'm practicing that finger-picking style at the moment so that I can do it. I probably will never play it at a gig. It's just for my own personal enjoyment. So anyway, we've cracked the code and we've discovered that if we put it in the context of me being able to take whatever we've learned in guitar school and come home and write a song with it or come home and practice so that I can learn one of my favourite songs, then possibly, potentially setting myself up to be patient and to keep it up.
0: This is also (laughs) heading towards the covers record you're mentioning as well. This would be a great outlet for that.
2: Yeah, potentially. That's a really good point. I've not actually thought about that. But, yeah, there's a couple of songs already that I know I want to record for the covers album, and then there's a couple of spots on there that's up for grabs. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. I'm going to keep that in mind next time I go to my lesson. Thank you.
0: Let's head back to the yoga and patience or patience and yoga. They both go hand in hand. What have you been getting from the yoga practice? Internally, what has Sam been getting?
2: Wow. Yeah. Um, You know what What it is, is that by dedicating that time to myself and to my practice and going deeper into the spiritual side of things and the philosophy side of things, by connecting to myself in that way, it has allowed me to connect better with others and with my work, with my creativity, and I think for me that's... I didn't realize that was going to happen, but I actually started noticing that the more time I gave to myself, the more I prioritized things like yoga practice. I mean, that was kind of the jumping off point, but then it sort of snowballed into a whole lot of other sort of self-care practices, I suppose you could call them. You know, and this is over a long period of time, but I've, I've noticed that The more time I dedicate to things like yoga practice and then other self-care practices like rest, (laughs) giving myself the time to be creative and putting good food in my body and a whole plethora of things, then the more I'm able to show up in my life for my work in a better, more productive, more creative way the better I'm able to show up in my relationship. I mean, this has been a massive one for me. To be honest, I mean, I really needed, you know, a big kick up the pants (laughs) and my ego really needed a big stabbing (laughs) to be able to be in a relationship in the way that I wanted and that's the continuing practice. But there was a time there when I actually really, only a few years ago, when I really didn't know how to love myself inside of loving somebody else. And my yoga practice absolutely, definitely played a huge part in teaching me and showing me how I could do that and how I could show up not only in my partnership, but also with my family and with my friends, Mm. show up deeply caring, deeply loving, really giving to another person or other people, but also keeping that strong boundary and that strong knowledge of who I am and what I need and knowing that I'm the only person that can give that to myself and not saying that in an, I am an island kind of way, Mm. but if I need something, it's my responsibility to create that for myself. And I credit the teachings of yoga and the domino effect of that and the things that I've become interested in and the practices that I've found stemming from the yoga practice. I definitely credit that for, you know, those awakenings.
0: What do you like about yourself now? through the process of yoga that you did not pre-yoga?
2: Oh, Cool question. Firstly, before I answer that, be very clear and say, like, I'm a work in progress. I'm absolutely not some enlightened being that is perfect and has everything sorted out. So this is, you know, a snapshot of this moment in time and I will keep progressing and keep growing and keep learning. But now versus, let's say, eight years ago, my shadow self, I think, is the answer to that question. My own darkness my own ability to be sad be a dickhead be egoic be selfish all of those things I've learned how to love that part of myself the part that gets depressed if I don't look after myself the part that yells when I'm afraid the part that chooses to stay at home and eat a tub of ice cream instead of going out and connecting with the world those parts of me that are quote unquote, not perfect. I've learned to love those parts and accept those parts and know that it's part of the three dimensional experience of being a human being. <laughs> that's freedom there, that's ultimate liberation because it's so easy to, and I have in the past spent a lot of time, fought that or tried to push it down or pretended that it wasn't there because I thought that it was wrong. And therefore I would see it in others as wrong as well and judge that in others and living in that space is so, it just becomes so painful. You're labelling everything as wrong.
0: And, of course, judging it in others is really, apart from the otherness of it, is also putting a barrier mm. between you and the connection with them.
2: Exactly. And then, as you say, like calling it other and in actual fact realising we're all the same. There is no other and we we experience these things in ourselves. Other people experience those things in themselves. We are a collective... When you judge someone else for whatever they're going through or whoever they are, then really I think that comes from a place of judging you because we're all the same.
0: How important is the visual for you?
2: Really interesting that you asked about how important visual has become because we're actually painting the house at the moment. It's actually become so important to me that particular colours are in particular rooms and colours really represent something to me nowadays where they didn't used to. I was actually explaining this to a friend of mine the other day, his eyes went wide and he was like, whoa, you are next level. I was explaining this to a friend the other day, so I'm really into drinking tea. You know, he asked me what my tea ritual was because I think everyone has a tea ritual. Uh, My particular one, basically, I mean, I have a specific way that the tea needs to be brewed and the milk needs to be put in, and how long it needs to sit there for, and I need to leave the tea bag in while I'm drinking the whole thing, and the milk needs to be of a certain level, and then I need to slurp the milk off the top, and then I need to add some more milk. Like it's all very weird. The strangest thing about my tea ritual, or the maybe the most interesting thing, I don't know, is that I choose my mug in the morning depending on what kind of day I'd like to have. So colour-wise and pattern-wise, I have my particular Is When I'm at home, obviously, I don't take all my mugs with me when I'm touring. <laughs> that would be strange. <laughs> That's
0: a little next level.
2: <laughs> a little. I take the mug off the shelf that best reflects the day that I want to have. So I have my bright yellow mug, which is actually what I was drinking out of. all my tea is gone now today. And I want to have a kick-ass day and I want to, like, really get a whole lot of stuff done and I'm feeling powerful or I know that I'm going to want to feel that way. Then I have my blue mug for when I want to have a creative day. I have my sort of soft, beigey, flowery, big, fat mug for when I'm having a self-nurturing day. The visual aspect of it has become so important to me. Colors and what they represent to me has actually become Intensely important now that you ask the question I've realised
0: Painting the house, that sense of mm. home Previous mm. releases of yours have had a sense of water And escapism and, and nurturing tone, sure But is this next record going to be more of a home record A, a centred record?
2: That is a very insightful question Because it's actually quite a lot of reference to home in there But I'm not necessarily talking about home Like where I live with the you know, hills and the beach, and and the cows in the backyard, and things like that. Like when I'm talking about home, I'm talking about home inside of myself a lot of the time. And I might make references also to my house and where I live. And where I live has actually become so deeply important to me, like my home, this exact area that I'm in, but also the general area. So I live right near Byron Bay, and the my community, the other musicians, the people that have us come and sing in their cafes and restaurants and markets and bars and everywhere and people on the street and the energy of the place and what it represents has become massively important to me. But what's interesting is I think that this grounded sense of home and of community that I've found has then sort of translated and morphed itself into a deep sense of home and groundedness inside of myself. It's like that stability and that connection externally has helped me to find and internal connection. So, yeah, I think the next album is going to be talking a lot about that.
0: I want to ask you a question regarding Sea Shepherd. As part of that 18-month travel that you did, the environmental awareness that surrounds Sam Buckingham, what way does that manifest in your daily life?
2: That's an ongoing up-and-down battle for me, to be perfectly honest about it. So it's something that really matters, and especially because I feel such a deep connection to the ocean and to nature itself. I feel like I'm constantly battling with trying to live my life and do everything else that matters and being consciously environmentally sound. So I try to reduce my plastic waste as much as humanly possible. Not buying single use plastic, you know, eating food that is from the ground as opposed to in a package and things like that. Really simple things like using the keep cup. I kind of feel like I'm never doing enough. And I kind of feel like no matter how much I do, I'll never be doing enough. Like, I just want to be really honest about this here. Like, you know, it's something that really matters to me and something that I'm constantly paying attention to, but something where I constantly feel like I fall short. When I'm touring, now I sell beeswax wraps. I used to make them myself and now my sister actually has started a business where she makes them, so now I buy them off her. And I talk on stage about reducing plastic waste and I tell people why I have the beeswax wraps. And on my last tour, I also sold ceramic made keep cups, which a friend of mine from Byron School's Play made especially for me.
0: I mentioned Sea Shepherd. I'm wondering if there was some experience you had.
2: Kyle and I lived for about six months on, like six months on and off, all up about six months on this little island in Honduras called Utila. So we actually originally went there because I really wanted to swim with a whale shark and... It is one of the highest traffic places for whale sharks in the world in a particular time of the year. And so I basically told Kyle, we have no choice, we have to go. (laughs) So I dragged him along. There was one yoga studio where I practiced twice a day and actually that's where I decided to do my course to become an actual certified yoga teacher. I ended up signing up with the local Sea Shepherd team who did night watch for the turtles when they were in hatching season. And they were nesting and hatching and things like that so we would go at night and battle the dengue mozzies camp out and watch the nests make sure that people didn't come and coach the eggs and then or keeping an eye on the hatchlings when they were going back into the water to make sure that they weren't snapped up that was really rewarding i remember riding my bike home at five o'clock in the morning or whatever it was after a sleepless night out on a deserted island <laughs> in this tiny little place and, and just feeling like I was so connected to the world, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. I just felt so connected, you know, out there with the moon and seeing these amazing creatures. It just kind of, I guess, solidified that care that I have for the natural world.
0: What's keeping you centred? Is it the yoga? Is it the partner? Is it a combination of things?
2: Um, I'm not scented all the time, (laughs) (laughs) but um, actually my sister sent me this awesome quote just the other day. She just texted it to me out of the blue. It's a quote from Eat, Pray, Love, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And Liz Gilbert is one of my favorite people of all time. And the quote is losing balance for love is part of living a balanced life. And I would even Change that quote a little bit to say losing balance is part of living a balanced life and therefore losing center is part of living a centered life and losing anything is part of living an anything life you have to well I personally have discovered for myself that I have to be willing to just be on the ride and I don't think I'm keeping my center all the time How I keep it when I keep it is part practice, part discipline, part luck. (laughs) But a general sense of it's okay, I got this is coming from my willingness to not have this sorted all the time.
0: Slam poetry. (laughs) Yeah. How's it going? Why are you doing it? And is it rewarding?
2: (laughs) Okay, so it's going... Very slowly. I have no idea why I'm doing it. I'm absolutely not planning on being some like slam poet artist. You know, it's totally not about that at all. And I think that's part of, you know, going back to what we were saying about Patreon and what I'm doing on there. Like I'm a singer and I'm a songwriter and my career is, is based around that. And I'm just a person who has these sort of curiosities that she wants to follow. And While I take what I do very seriously, as in I want to do it really well and I want to really serve the people that are hearing my music and it matters to me because I love to do it so much, there's all these other things that are just like, well, fuck it. I just want to do that too. The slam poetry, you know, I just kept sort of saying to myself, I just want to do slam poetry. So I've written a couple of things and on my Patreon to certain people who have chosen this particular reward, I upload a surprise spoken word piece i'm actually going to my first slam poetry event in a few weeks time so i literally have never even been or stood up on stage and done slam poetry but i'm going to my first one in a few weeks
0: is it helping with the songwriting in terms of the rhythmic kind of rhyming
2: yeah absolutely and i think like that's probably where it all stemmed from is I started finding myself feeling really inspired by a certain kind of songwriting and a certain kind of placement of lyrics and things like that. So that was kind of, I guess, the jumping off point. And then somehow I sort of stumbled across a a bunch of spoken word pieces and it just woke something up inside of me. So I'm noticing now when I'm writing, and it's not for every song, but I'm noticing now when I'm writing that I'm approaching Phrasing really differently and the lyrical content is quite different as well, inspired by that genre, I suppose, in a way. It's definitely related to my love of songwriting. I think that's what it's really about. And my love of words and the power of words. And I guess just finding a new way to use my voice. Like I'm I'm all about using my voice. So it's really exciting to look into new ways to make the world a little bit louder. <laughs>
0: talking about words what are you reading at the moment
2: i'm actually sitting right next to my bed where all the books that i'm reading are piled up so there's currently eight books piled up next to my bed so i've got my songwriting book which is because i write a lot of songs in bed i have the complete rhyming dictionary which i read you know for fun. hang on you bhagavad... read
0: a dictionary
2: oh but it's a rhyming dictionary oh, okay. it's not just any old dictionary i have the bhagavad gita which is sort of the spiritual t- text of the world i've attempted to read this about three times i'm on my fourth attempt now it's a really dense book it's really intense but i love it uh, i have yoga anatomy so i'm reading a yoga anatomy book i've actually already read this before i had to read it for my yoga teacher training that was one of the text requirements but i'm rereading it i've got the Tibetan book of living and dying that's a classic i've read this one before so i'm rereading it now it's Actually, I highly recommend you to go out and get yourself a copy of this book. It is life-changing. And I have The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I haven't started yet, but it's on my list.
0: Over the next year, as you mentioned, there's a covers record on the way, but there's so much more happening as well. Get along to the Patreon. We'll have the link in the show notes for people who get involved with that. You've done a number of supports as well recently. What are some of the things that we can look forward to in the world of Sam Buckingham?
2: The Real Life Tour is happening later on this year, and we're planning on doing a part two early next year.
0: I've been wanting to ask you, as we mentioned, it's been an eight-year journey that I've wanted to have a conversation with you. So thank you very much for for this time today. It's very much appreciated. Pleasure.
2: Thank you.
0: What have been some of the most fascinating supports that you've done or a support that you've done in that time?
2: They've all just been awesome experiences. Most recently, I toured with James Rain. It was about two and a half months that we were on the road together. And then I also did some shows the next year following, like, on and off. I joined him for about half of his tour. That was a massive deal for me and that was really eye-opening in terms of how much music is happening around the country everywhere all the time we were playing mainly regional theatres up until quite recently I've really only played mostly in sort of metropolitan areas and a few smaller places a little bit outside but we were going to places that I'd never even been close to and so that felt really inspiring for me to really start to understand the depth of music that was happening all around the country and like Everyone loves music everywhere. (laughs) Like I know that sounds so obvious, but, you know, people talk about Australia being such a terrible place for live music and people don't care anymore and blah, blah, blah. There's all this sort of really negative stuff around it a lot of the time. And you know what? I just don't think that that's true. There is incredible music happening in so many places, and there are people that want to hear what we have to say and that want to connect. That was a huge message that I kept getting on the tour with James. I also toured with Casey Chambers before them, also regional shows, and that was amazing for so many reasons. Firstly, because every night I got to sing The Captain with her and have hundreds of people singing along with us, so that was Real full circle moment for me because I've always been really inspired by her music. That was just a beautiful reminder of how life can work in your favour if you keep doing what you love doing. What was also really cool about that tour was hanging out with her mum, Di, who is one of the most beautiful humans in the world and does all of Casey's merch for her. Up until that point, I had kind of been really embarrassed about selling... My merch at gigs like selling cds and like that i didn't have i didn't have anything other than cds i, I just sold my cds and i was always kind of a bit embarrassed and die actually really taught me that that i didn't need to feel embarrassed about that that i could have beautiful things because she really put a lot of work and a lot of effort into creating really awesome interesting merch for people to take home to enjoy and so that really got me thinking about what kind of merch I wanted to have on my tours and why. And so that's when I started making the beeswax wraps. I started making them for the James Rain tours. I want to be selling things that mean something and that make a difference and that matter. I wanted to say something with my merch. And so I was making these beeswax wraps, which in hindsight was freaking crazy I was literally driving around the country with like beef. I was cutting fabric backstage I remember one of the first shows I did with James I was cutting the fabric backstage and he said what are you doing there so I'm just I'm just cutting a bit of fabric He said, are you making t-shirts because I really like that fabric will you make me a t-shirt and I didn't know I'm making these back straps but you can have some of those I didn't know how popular they'd be I didn't know I just kind of made like 20 and they sold in the first show. And then in between dates I would stop in a family member's house or a friend's house or whoever like were on the route that I was doing and use their kitchen to make more beeswax wraps. So I was travelling with like a crock pot full of beeswax and I was getting – more wax posted to whoever's house I was staying at and then I couldn't keep up with the cutting so I got my sister to cut the fabric and post it to me for wherever I was going to be. Touring with dye really taught me that there was value in providing a product to people that they wanted and so that started me making beeswax wraps. I did my first t-shirt printing which had beautiful artwork by my friend Kate Carragher. She painted the most gorgeous humpback whales on this t-shirt and I put some song lyrics on there, let my fingers tell a tale and my soul become a whale. And I wanted to sort of send more of that message about the ocean and protecting the ocean and and the beauty of it. So we did that through the t-shirts and then I added keep cups. That experience just taught me so much about treating my music as a business but asking myself how to treat it as a conscious business. Anyone that has had me as a support on their tours, man, I'm just so grateful because, you know, I've gotten to stand in front of people and sing songs where I wouldn't have otherwise been able to. So gratitude for that.
0: Sam Buckingham, absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining Radio Notes.
1: Thank you. Sam Buckingham. Later single is called Real Life with an East Coast Australian tour in October 2019. To find them online, sambuckingham.com. Also of note, a haunting version of Phil Collins' Another Day in Paradise done by them can be found on Katie Noonan's Songs That Made Me. And their own albums are called The Water and I'm a Bird.
0: Of note on Patreon in recent days, at time of record, Amanda Palmer, no longer having the shackles of a major record company for a while now, and in the safe hands of her 15,000 plus supporters there on Patreon, has been able to make a music clip for "Drowning in the Sound" off their latest album called "There Will Be No Intermission." I won't go in much detail regarding the song or the film clip or even the album. Because there are very detailed essays that Amanda Palmer has done herself and I'll link those in the show notes for you.
2: Well, there's actually six different types of
1: tea.
0: Sounds there of Belinda from Brewed by Belinda. We'll hear more from her in a coming episode here on the show. Thanks very much for listening and a big special thanks to our feature guest today, Sam Buckingham.
1: radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links web design there by steve davis theme music by martin kennedy and all india radio i'm tammy weller john merch is the producer and host based in adelaide south australia